Oh man, I was uh, I had something to do on the twenty third. Uh, what day is it? Oh, today it's the uh, day we we one of the days we're going to mourn the uh, great Ray Stevenson, among other people who it's the anniversary of the day they passed away. Um, what day did he die? Tuesday. Oh, uh, I think he died yesterday, but, um, yeah, I could be more specific if my uh, computer would turn on, but, uh, but, uh, no, he was, he was great. Um, um, did you ever, I, I'd never seen it and I've heard various opinions about it, but did you see the movie? It was like a sequel to the Punisher where he played the Punisher. Maybe. Okay. Was it called? He's uh. Was it called uh Punisher Two? I think it was called Punisher Warzone. It sounds familiar. I think if they were using numbers, it probably would have come in that order. But um. But uh, no, he uh passed away the twenty first, which would be Sunday, because of course today. So I don't know if you you uh, hopefully will be able to make your event because today in fact is uh tuesday may 23rd 2023 um it was due at 1 a.m oh never mind you're screwed uh, i'm pretty sure i'm going to be murdered by yakuza i should have never ever ever got involved with those guys ever well, I had two or three years recently where I had menopausal races who were out to get me every day. So uh, I think you've uh, you've come out on the uh, the safe side if it's only the Yakuza. The Yakarens, Uh, well, I don't want to I don't want to elevate them by calling them Karens because that would be bringing them up a couple notches, but. Uh, but in all fairness, everybody does look ashamed when they're wearing white sheets over their heads. So, hmm. um, oh, well, did you ever watch? And I think maybe I'm thinking of a different show. Did you ever watch Rome on HBO? No. Yeah, he was he was big on that. Uh, Ray Stevenson. Um, you talking about Jim Rome? The announcer guy? No, but I heard. I understand that he's uh, got a burning sensation. It'll never go away. He does. Are you tired of Jim the Rome. drip, drip, drip of gonorrhea? Well, then you might be tired of the Jim Rome show. I, you talk about like I, I joke like it's you know it's kind of a joke that I, <laughs> that I'm that I'm an angry person, which I mean I'm, I wouldn't say I am, but there are just some things. Few things in life, I would say they trigger me, but as many people, and again, I mean, a lot of it's, you know, it's, I think this, this extends far beyond just the fake triots. Uh, for people that complain all the time about, uh, you know, the people that probably, you know, went to school more than they did or more knowledgeable than they did or read on a regular basis. 
that they say things like, uh, I don't know nothing. But they love sports and they watch sportscasters and sportscasters, generally speaking, are worse <clears throat> than any political pundit. And uh, I could understand if it was a sportscaster who had played competitive sports, you know, maybe even in high school. I mean, in college or whatever, or somebody who's a retired pro, but people who have never played sports, never been in, you know, I, it is, it is clearly indescribable. Uh, yeah, it's clearly indescribable, but, uh, but. I wonder, do you think, do you think people, when they get on like ESPN or different channels, do you think there's something in their employment contract that they will not engage in sports betting? Uh, probably not, but I don't know. So not probably not is just going to be, I don't know. No. I know. Uh, I mean, one of my, if, if Pete yeah. Rose was ever, commentating at one point he had a, an agreement not to bet and we know how that worked out are you there? sorry still there yeah i'm here yeah sorry i had some nonsense i've got i've got a lot of spam calls lately oh yeah and i didn't want to if i answered the phone to have to engage them using words that scare sample people uh, I didn't want that to accidentally go out over the. Uh, I would love to get a potentially spam call on the show so I can do what I do whenever I have time, which is uh, have fun with it. I've often. Uh, well, I've gotten. I've, I've, yeah. I've often tried to talk people into quitting their job because they're better than that. One guy was like, man, you just don't know how bad I needed to hear that today. Thank you. It was uh, because I, I kind of started a bit rough and I was saying bad things. And he was like, come on, man, we're all brothers. And I'm like, dude, if you were my brother, then why are you trying to scam me? And, you know, that's when the real conversation started. But I do have a lot of fun with with scam calls. And now if there's somebody offering a service and, and they're making a cold call, I politely decline. But when it's like the IRS is sending the service or the sheriff out to arrest you right now, unless you make this payment, then I uh, act like I'm going to make the payment and all that stuff and but give them the wrong numbers and try to frustrate them as much as I can. Yeah, well, that's the that's the problem, especially with, um, <clears throat> you know, the parking situation we discussed the other day, that scam pay and park thing where they'll, they will intentionally, you know, you type in your credit card information and it won't, you'll keep clicking. It'll say error, you know, which is an error on their end in their system. Or as you know, what's happened in downtown in this city, um, they'll have parking lot ID codes that you type in to say that you're there and then you make a payment. And uh, the one specifically that I'm, referring to you type in and to identify the parking lot 
it gives you three choices based on that code. And the main time I'm talking about, two of the options were in California, one was in West Virginia. So you're there, it's processing your payment, and it's not letting you say where you are. So they're intentionally actively committing fraud. That is and then they send you these that there's no way to enter your information. A hundred percent. And then they send you to these scam <clears throat> uh, parking lot management companies who will pr- feign, ig- well, I mean, all, every, both companies. I mean, I've had to call both of them and uh, f- they're feigning ignorance about everything. And fortunately, it's just my experience with Josh Stein's office, the uh, North Carolina's Attorney General Department of Justice. Contacting them about this is the first time I've ever seen them really do anything that was actually a citizen citizen filed concern because it's very concerning because if they're scamming me and there's you know thousands of parking lot spaces <clears throat> excuse me in the city how many are in the state nationwide so how many tens of millions of dollars are they ripping people off from uh, under the guise of well if you don't send us uh, $40 in 15 days and or $80 the 15 days after that, we're going to send you to collections and ruin your credit. You know, when they were the ones who are actively engaged in perpetrating a fraud. So, yeah, that drip is no different than uh, overdraft fees. They just chip away at you and chip away and chip away and chip away. Uh, it does suck. Well, and I'd be less, well, I would say I wouldn't be less concerned, but, you know, it's the same, same thing as always. And I guess we lump it in with the fake tree. It's that, this, you know, it's like when they uh, say, uh, you know, like when people go to buy things at the store and let's say it's a, a toothpaste is uh, a large thing of toothpaste would be we'll say it's five or six dollars um but then oh you can get a two-pack for ten dollars and this is an example obviously well some people don't have a full ten dollars so they can't buy two and get a discounted price so they're automatically being charged more for being poor poor. oh yeah, yeah without a doubt and walmart man uh i scan every price on my phone and a good 10% of the time, it's higher than what's on the shelf, price on the shelf. So unless you're diligent, you're, you know, they're chipping away. And it adds up. A hundred percent. I mean, that's, people always wonder, and I've, uh, I mean, I've, I've absolutely have been guilty of this and I'm aware that it's a thing I need to be more, uh, I'm aware. I need to be aware. Um, like I, yeah, I have a bad habit with coffee about it, but you know, it's it's easier than meeting people for lunch. Number one, because I have a really disciplined, regimented eating schedule. But, but you know, get a couple extra espresso shots. Get, I mean, so and every place charges differently. Um, I would just hope, you know, when people ask for a tip, I hope that tip money is actually going to the employees and not going. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not trying to slap people on the wrist for having to pay rent in a commercial space when they're small business owners. But you just feel better that if you're going to leave a tip, <clears throat> it's actually going to the staff working there and not to management. 
We're going to have to call this the throat show. I'm clearing my throat. You're clearing your throat. We uh, Maybe we need to drink lemon before. Uh, I tip in cash, and I hand it to people. Uh, or, I mean, I'll leave it on the table, but I, I don't tip on the card in, if I have cash because I, I believe that that gets shared. I'm paranoid <clears throat> about that as I clear my throat. Let me clear my throat. Oh, yeah. Well, I, that's exactly what I was thinking of. What song? What's the name of that song? Uh, I don't know. Okay. If only there was a device I could... Uh... Maybe we can ask AI. Oh, that's the name of the song. It's a song by DJ Cool. Cool. Cool uh, with a K, which is the fun way to spell it. I want to do a skit where you know we're all talking about AI doing everything. Then it's Alan Iverson behind a computer working real hard. That would that would slay. That would slay. Yeah, I like it. Did you watch? Did you watch uh, She-Hulk? I did. Did I like, I like, I mean, you know, I like when things are different or new approaches to things. I think that was one thing that Thor Ragnarok did really well, especially because it took characters that were just not that engaging and were, and made them hilarious and, and, and you know, took them in a... a more proactive direction, but how did you feel about the uh, aggressive meta-ness of uh, um, of She-Hulk? Oh, I mean, I liked the show. I liked that it was silly and uh, irreverent and goofy because I'm all those things. Um, It's more like reading a book, especially in modern literature, really seems to play to the protagonist being witty and and sarcastic and sardonic uh so i i think it's more aligned into what the writers are wanting to do and i think there's room for that and i hope they continue ragnarok was a hoot i enjoyed it it was visually goofy uh jeff goldblum was fantastic in it and those two played off each other perfectly uh, the way it should have been done. And, and I don't know. I mean, they did some interesting things with the Thor character, making uh, super hunk man obese like they did and all that stuff. How often is an actor willing to uh, degrade his moneymaker, you know? hundred percent. I think, I don't know. That just seemed like the, a, a great t-shirt. Degrade your moneymaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Did, uh, what did you think about at the end? Let me pull the episode list up. Cause I don't want to say something that's, uh, Oh, well, I'm looking for this thing. Did you did you like Perfect Strangers, the TV show? I don't think I watched it. Who's in it? What was it about? Uh, Mark Lynn Baker and Bronson Pitchell. Uh, 
Marklin Baker plays a young man in his early to mid twenties. And it's so strange because he's, he's just on the cusp of that generation where people still kind of looked significantly older than they were, you know, versus now. Um, but I think it's, I think he maybe was from, uh, I don't know if he, his last name in the show is Appleton or he was from Appleton, Wisconsin, but he decides to go off on his own and, uh, uh, move to, to big city of Chicago. And then roughly the same time, his, uh, distant cousin, uh, Balke Bartokomus, which is not oh, the yeah, correct okay, accent. Sure. Yeah. I never liked Comes to America. Do or do not. I didn't, I just never could connect to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, uh, Anyway, but Marklin Baker that's in that, you know, plays the dad in She-Hulk. Right. Um, and uh, he's, a, he's, he's interesting. And I'm not saying it's not, I wouldn't say it's interesting because like he was too smart for whatever. But he always played, I think he was, he was like the original. And I don't know if he was on TV doing it kind of before Paul Reiser. But I, it's almost, and maybe there's other TV characters that did it before. But his Larry Appleton character was one of the first, I feel like, and again, the show came out when I was four years old. So I'm, um, I think it came out when I was four. Let me, let me fact check that. Sorry, six, when I was six years old. Well, you know, um, that's 50%, dude. Come on. Yeah, if I was any worse at math, I'd be the lieutenant governor who just said he was going to run for governor. But, uh, um, but he's only bad at math on his taxes, as he describes himself. But um, he was the first guy on TV that played like, and I wouldn't say it was Woody Allen-like because I've never super been into Woody Allen, so I don't, haven't seen enough to know. But he was like, from my memory, again, which if there's other characters, there certainly might be other instance, instances I'm not aware of, but was the first character on TV who was um, – super neurotic you know and like would uh, i think that was a gag on the show that he arranged things in his apartment by color and size and like he would you know like all of his um shirts were lined up by which i guess is how people line their shirts up anyway i would feel like by colors you know and uh like that was always the gag that he would you know he was a straight man on the show so he would always like make the the face you know, like the, like the, what is happening face, like the, I can't believe I'm here face. And, uh, the Bronson pitch was just, um, or pitch 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 um, was just the, it was, you know, he was almost like, a um, uh, like a puppy, you know, like everything was exciting and everything was, was wondrous. Um, right. but, uh, Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. Well, it says Wisconsin. I guess that's maybe the joke is that he's Larry Appleton from a, a non-named town in Wisconsin. But did you ever? Did you get it? Were you? A, are you a? Um. Because um, I love the song "Perfect Strangers." Deep Purple. Are you a Deep Purple fan? I do like Deep Purple. I haven't really listened to him much in the past few decades, but I grew up on him a bit. I'll have to revisit. Yeah, everybody obviously knows smoke on the water, but I just, like because I just perfect strangers. I feel like for me is a I feel like um, 
the smoke on the water, you know, it tells a very specific story about that hotel fire. Uh, the hotel fire, yeah. But uh, perfect strangers just seems to be like you know you just you do feel like, um, and that might be a lyric in the song, but at least for me, it does feel like you're a, you're you know you're traveling across the universe in search of this thing, and it just has a, you know, it's on the on the cusp of just some amazing unknown discovery that you're actively seeking out. Well, they were uh, certainly history hasn't been as kind to them as it probably should be for their innovative music making. Were you, uh, I want to get my dates right on here. Cause I, was David Coverdale their original lead singer? No. Okay. Cause I like David Coverdale. But I feel like he's he's tough too because if you watch interviews from him from the eighties, like he's a very intellectual person, and makes just very astute observations about things. But I wonder, you know, but he just he just almost kind of got trapped, and um, and it may have been their Deep Purple album or not Deep Purple, but uh, you know, the White Snake album with Here I Go Again and uh, um. two or three other songs. I don't know the names of them having to look up. Uh, who do you think is, has done well? Do you think it's just like people that uh, from that seventies into the eighties bands maybe didn't hold up well? It was a hard transition with well making modern music can still be open-hearted all that machinery making modern music um as rush so eloquently put it 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 was a change unlike any other because even as you move in from the 50s to the 60s and electric guitars are getting distortion and things of that nature it was still all analog. And then in the 80s, that digital uh, influence and synthesizers, and then the electric drums, uh, it, it was a whole nother game. And with disco, then into new wave, uh, pop just had such a stranglehold on music the the jam band was was uh set aside isolated to such a small group of people that that hung on to it uh that it was hard for bands to overcome but then they got on board with it you know ZZ Top went to a Depeche Mode concert and was like you know we really ought to try something like that. And then Eliminator came out. And what did they do with that style of music? You know, their version of, of New Wave is sharp-dressed man and she's got legs. And and they absolutely crushed it. You know, Rush really went well uh, deep into synthesizers and electric drums and things of that nature. 
and uh, that turned off a huge portion of their fans. I I love every version of Rush. I could care less. Those guys could uh, probably play chopsticks better than anybody on the planet. I'd just be headbanging to it. Uh, and then you have singers like Cloverdale and, and then Genesis. I mean, look what Phil Collins and Genesis and Peter Gabriel did. They uh, owned the 80s. So that raw talent did well eventually. They definitely had a speed bump to get over. And one thing, one thing I like the most out of all of it is it used to be that just a few genres of music would keep playing until they were old and, and could play no more and died. But now just every band just keeps playing. And I have no problem with that. If, if the singer doesn't sound the same, if Axl Rose doesn't sound like he's 23 anymore, well, guess what? He's not 23 anymore. That band still puts on a hell of a show. I don't want bands to retire. Maybe take five years between things, but, you know, I think that's what came out of of uh, that transition from the 70s into the 80s is that people were willing to be loyal to the music and financially support them, if that answers your question. Well, I mean, I think that's the beauty of conversations like this is that it, the, the immediate answer is the next question, you know. Um, Depeche Mode, they, they, they were out before Duran Duran. Were they? Because I feel like all the, the, I feel like the Depeche Mode I know, I'm just, Wiki says they started in uh, 1980. Um, I pull up the old Duran Duran. Did you ever see, uh, and I've never seen it. I mean, which is people always think I'm kidding. Cause there's so many movies like, Oh no, Duran Duran started in the seventies. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I figured right. they did. Cause it was early eighties that they had their, them and the flock of seagulls. You know, I, I really hated that music to begin with. Uh, because I was the one that they stole great music from, and it, I, I saw it as a sign of bad things to come, which held true because hair bands. But I saw the Flock of Seagulls in concert at a festival, and uh, man, they were great. They were they were just fantastic musicians, and, and I hate that pop trend made them into what made many bands into what they were, which was overproduced garbage, you know, Motley Crue and rat and even white snake to an extent. Uh, they should have been the next Zeppelin and they just couldn't flock be. of seagulls. Yeah, No, not flock of seagulls being the next Zeppelin, but, oh. but, uh, dude, flock of seagulls, the bass solo was Freebird. The dude had a bass solo and played the jam part of Freebird. Which I guess that pretty much won me over. I was I, will, uh, I was numb watching it because it was great. 
I will look. I will. I will look that up on the YouTube after the after yeah, the show. I God, I've never even thought of looking it up because this was like mid '80s, late '80s. Yeah, it had to be late '80s. Ah, but uh, I don't know. I'm anymore. I like any music to where the the they're jamming when they're into it and they're jamming. I'm pretty much gonna like it, unless it's country. Then it's gonna be a for rare, sure rare thing that I believe they're being honest and not just placating to. Well, in a country song, you do this progression next. Yeah, did you? Uh, that was the amazing thing, and that was a really special night when we all got to be there for Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Um. I was. I'm always. And I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but to feel, I don't, I'm trying to think of a word besides special, but to see people who are accomplished, but you get to see them, you know, do the thing that produces income for them. And they're really like, obviously they're having fun. So it's not, you know, like a finger quotes work, but they're hustling and they're really performing their asses off. And that was the amazing. I mean, I didn't think guns and roses was going to be a limp, but to get there and like, well, they're to see people volunteer the best ever do it. You know, they were right there with any band ever. They're just simply a plus plus plus. So you did see the stones. You saw the Beatles, you saw Skinner, you saw Rush, you saw Aerosmith that night because the greats, you know, they're right there with them. Yeah, I was, yeah, it was amazing. Fantastic. Yeah, well, to see, and to see Axl Rose run for two hours and 30 minutes out of a three hour show to run. In cowboy boots uh, that did not have special souls, but to see them run and to see them hustle, and and you know just 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 to me that communicates appreciation and and a very high awareness of we're very fortunate to be in this position, uh, you know, and and I guess obviously there's some obvious awareness that you know that they've created these musical experiences that we've and have taken people on this journey and you know they've taken people on a journey but then people have had their own journeys and you know for a lot of people it's a soundtrack of our lives well i think with gnr the people want to credit nirvana for saving music but GNR did it. If it wasn't for GNR, I don't think people would have been ready for uh, grunge. They uh, GNR just came out and stopped all the pretense, stopped all the overproduced garbage. These guys wrote those songs. These guys recorded the songs that they wrote, and uh, and it was just honest rock and roll. And while a lot of grunge is just classic rock, in my opinion, uh, it 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 was. 
I didn't particularly care for a lot of the bands, but I loved that time in music as it came honest again. And in a decade of drowning in just garbage. If if you can't tell, I, I'm still angry about the 80s. And uh, <laughs> I cannot tell. <clears throat> uh, well, luckily, I did have you know, the one beautiful thing about music is, you know, once you record it, especially, you know, now, really, or even back in the 60s and 70s, everything is still saved. It doesn't go away. It's still there. And uh, so I, I had the, the old music and then I had Rush and Genesis and Field to fill in the, the blanks. And I discovered a lot of music. My love for jazz came from that time because I sure as hell wasn't going to listen to the garbage on the radio. I don't know. I never, I've never been a radio listener. For one thing, even now when I turn it on, I, unless a really, really good song happens to be on, I just flip right back over to streaming. Sorry, it's early in the morning, but there, I think someone just dro- drove past yelling out the window for some reason. Not at me, of course. The, were, was it the British are coming? That's very well what it could have been. The uh, the salient details of their verbal gesticulations escaped me. But uh, um, we were in the car one time, and I think we were coming back from our friend's house that does the party of the year, several now parties of the year, I guess, out near Raleigh. And, uh, you know, I always say that, but it's like equal distance between, like, it's just off of I-40, you know what I'm saying? It's not anything, for some reason, I'm anything east of, uh, like Greensboro is Raleigh. Yeah. Until you, yeah. Until you get to the other side, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it is that kind of thing. Um, but for some reason we plugged my phone in and, uh, because I had a, a Roy Harper cover of um, uh, a song he and David Gilmore wrote that I know the name of. Yeah, uh, I remember. Because I was yeah. shocked that you were listening to David Gilmore. Oh, I love, yeah, dude, David Gilmore. I love David Gilmore. Um, um, but the Roy Harper cover... Uh, I love, I mean, I, 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 I'm super into David Gilmore. Um, and even his stuff that I would not consider top shelf, top shelf, I still think is, you know, infinitely better than, than most things other people have done. Um, but uh, I can't believe this thing isn't just coming up near the top of... Uh, Short and sweet. Golly, you would think something that was that important to me. I'd remember the name of it. Yes. Um, Great tune. Yeah. It's an amazing, and I feel like that does feel like such a, so personal, you know, and, and such an anthem, but the, the uh, cover that he does with 
David Gilmore. And I guess the most famous version might be, I mean, other than the studio track would be uh, David Gilmore um, at the Hammersmith in 1984. Uh, uh, he went on and played it there. Uh, but it was just felt it was fast. And I guess, you know, the original recording was fast. But there's the uh, Roy Harper. Um, uh, it's not a cover because he wrote it, but a version he played. And I don't know. I mean, I th it was a recorded concert, but it was um, just one night in 1990. And I think it might also be notable because it was one time he shaved, you know, his face. But it's just an acoustic um, version, and it is just sweeping. And you know, and I think it's one great thing with Gilmore has it, Bernie Taupin has it with you know stuff he writes with Elton John. Lindsey Buckingham has it sometimes, but just where like they're they're singing these things, and you without trying see that narrative unfold and you are in it as an, as a first person observer, not as someone watching other people experiencing it. Um, but, uh, but just exceptional, but odd, I don't know if it's odd or funny or whatever, but every time I always see people commenting about that concert, sometimes it's on the YouTube comments under the, the, of that video of him playing short and sweet. The main comment I see the most is uh, from people that were there uh, that it was freezing in the arena. Why was it so cold? You know, but uh, odd things people remember. But what did you, so did you think, I never thought, and maybe again, I was, you know, of a certain age at a certain time when certain things happened, but I just never thought and again, I'm one person, whatever, um, I thought Nirvana, I don't think they saved anything. I just think they completely killed one thing and are credited with birthing something else. Well, you know, when you kill Hitler, you save something. So I, I, you uh, are, you're slinging daggers into my eyes. I, I am on purpose to, on top of how truly. <laughs> uh, committed to bashing hair bands of the 80s. I, uh, there's an extra amount of glee when I bring it up around you. Um, I know, I know, I know. But. <laughs> Uh, I'm, why don't you go to live music more? I mean, I, I know you go see certain people that may or may not be related to you. Um, I, 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 why? I feel like there's a bunch of reasons popped into my mind. Um, I don't know if it's, maybe it's, it's like it's some kind of social anxiety thing. Uh, and sometimes I just want to leave early. And usually if you would go to larger venues with people, you'd either be traveling with them or uh, I wouldn't want to be rude and just disappear. You know, yeah. um, but also you're just in a space with that many people. And um, 
and I wouldn't say it's because I don't drink anymore, because even when I was drinking, I didn't like to be around it. And I understand we're all on a journey. We're all learning at our own pace. But I just, you know, and I think you have the same thing. Like you, you can, you can sniff some bullshit before it happens. And right. I'm just very aware of just lots of, when you have that many moving parts that are lubricated with booze, like I think people can maybe indulge in more relaxing substances and, and be fine. You know what I mean? And nothing and just be chill. But that's, that's, uh, an enhancement of a situation versus when people go out, they uh, sometimes, you know, engage in performative behaviors and they feel emboldened when they're, when they've got some liquid courage in their systems. Um, But uh, I mean, if it was, if it was somebody like, if you said that you've, like I would have, I would have liked to have gone. Maybe I guess Stevie Nicks was in near here the other week. That would have been cool. Uh, if Springsteen was coming through, I had a really hard time um, at the Paul McCartney show. Oh yeah, I had a really. I mean, like anxiety uh, was. Um, I would say it was through the roof, but if I hadn't been with someone who at the time was a very calming personality, I don't have anything to do with them now, but at the time was a very calming personality to be around. And, um, but it was just so many people on top of people. And, um, and I would say necessarily COVID related. Um, but, you know, just being more aware of when people touch things and then they want to shake your hand or they pick something up or they uh, like sneezed into their hand or didn't cover their face properly. I just, you know. Right. Um, and, uh, And then, you know, the starving artist thing in my brain is always, those wheels are always turning. And so I'm like, if it's not something I absolutely want to go do, I'm probably not going to go spend money on it. You know, like, even if you have a lot more money in your account than you used to, for some reason, in the back of my mind, my thought is, you better not spend that or then it won't be there. Dude, I don't uh, think that ever leaves. I mean, I... uh the reason I'm able to be comfortable financially is I'm just so frugal. It is nuts. It It's just a habit that allows working people to have moments of, of indulgences. But yeah, yeah, there are times I'm not able to enjoy myself because I'm thinking, why did I spend the money on this? But music isn't one of them. When I go to a show, man, I'm the only one there. You know, unless my wife is with me. uh, I could care less what's going on around me. 
Yeah, well, that's a good. And I think it, I, that's good that you can get into that mindset and that focus because I, I mean, I I was able. I was amazed. One of the most amazing. And plus, I like to do things by myself anyway. Like I, I, I it's hard for me sometimes to be social. You know, um, uh, I guess whether that's an offshoot of anxiety or or whatever. But and also, I'm just at a point in my life where I mean, I don't think I'm going to turn into the uh, the old man neighbor uh from uh home alone right um well, you know that everybody thinks he killed us whoever but uh um not that i'm aware of anyway but um well oddly i want people to think i'm that person so i, I don't i don't think it's odd because people leave you alone i wish people i mean I, it's like yeah, all the people you want to you want all the people you want to come up and talk to you like won't necessarily, but all the people you absolutely don't want to talk to, they're the first ones to come up to you and say stuff. Dude, I had a neighbor um, when I first moved in here. Uh, we were like carrying luggage out to the car, packing it up and he pulls up and we're literally trying to get in the car. He pulls up and starts talking and just keeps talking. And I'm like, yeah, well, we got to go. Well, one more thing. And I'm, I'm thinking, I I will hate you forever. There's just simply nothing you can do that won't make me hate living beside you. It it just blows my mind what people think and, and can't observe the then existing condition and environment that they're in. And, and just draw the conclusion of, you know, I'll catch them later. So, uh. Yeah, I, I certainly, I, I've, I've talked to most of my neighbors. I told them if they ever needed me, I was there if they need me. But I also made it pretty clear that, uh, yeah, I'll wave when you go by. That's about it. And I and, and certainly would help them if their house is on fire. I'm, I will do what I can. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I talk. I've I've never been like anti meeting my neighbors, but the group of people that live on my street now, and I don't know if it's because I'm just you know I I, I get those kilometers a lot more, or I you know it's maybe the sun's out now and you just see people more, but I'll uh, I feel like I know more of my neighbors now and talk to them more now than at any point. In all fairness, I only thought I was going to live here for a couple of years and then be somewhere else, but that's, you know, life just didn't work out like that. But, um, but I feel like I, I know, but I also make a point because, you know, good, good neighbors, good neighborhoods and all that. I make it a point to wave at everybody I see and say hello to everybody I see. So that might have something to do with it. And then, you know, because I look unapproachable, I want my neighbors to feel safe and know they can approach me if they need something. So, Anytime cars go by, I wave at you know pretty just about every car that goes by when I'm out in the neighborhood or any of that. But um, but it's a yeah, dude. Neighbors are what's what's so funny because I guess we lived around the corner from each other before we knew each other years ago. But um, it's a fascinating. That's one thing I like about. Winston, generally speaking, I mean, obviously there's certain kind of different sects of people that like to live near each other. But generally speaking, I think 
especially in the last few years, um, it's become a very organically diverse space. And people, and maybe it's because it's new people that move from somewhere else who have bought a lot of businesses and opened a lot of businesses. And But it does seem like, and obviously there's outliers on both sides, blah, blah, blah. But it does seem like a, that maybe this part of the state, um, and maybe it's because people don't want to move to Charlotte necessarily or Raleigh necessarily because they feel like it's oversaturated with people and all this, but that where we are seems to be uh, that people move here because, again, the same reason I tell people when we're talking about moving a, their family here, moving a business here, you know, it's close to things, but you're not in the middle of everything. You know, things are accessible. You know, if you like theater, we have a lot of that here. If you like music, we have a lot of that here. If you moved from L.A. and you want to go see the Lakers, well, when you lived in L.A., it took you an hour and a half to go see the Lakers, and you can live here, and it take you less than an hour and a half probably to go see the Lakers play, you know, a couple times a year. So, and, and yeah, you know, there's – yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, Raleigh was, I think, the number three city in America, rank-wise. Uh, and Charlotte was somewhere in the teens, if I recall right. And Winston was up there, and Greensboro moved up quite a bit. Uh, so, yeah, and, and I agree, the diversity within this area you you just see all types and to me that that appeals to me uh, i loved toronto i learned a lot in just one interaction with somebody in toronto being a white male of six foot or above you never think about walking you just walk in the path that's in front of you. Well, I'm in Toronto and I'm walking and this just tiny lady from maybe India or Pakistan, somewhere in that area, uh, just walks right into me and I think, how rude. And then I realized that she was just walking in her line and I was walking in my line and she didn't get out of my way. So I watched when we got back of how people just get out of my way. And I hated it. So now when I walk, and I want you to watch this. Now when I walk, if I see someone's about to intersect me, I will slow down, speed up, divert. Because I don't want to be in their path. I've had enough of that privilege. It's their turn. And it floored me, man. It was a trip. She just, you know, walked right into me, and I and I walked right into her. But for me, it was expecting, just assuming that my path would be cleared. Have you ever noticed that for yourself? Uh, no, but it's probably because I was raised to think I was always in the way, so I'm always <laughs> <laughs> getting out of people's way. You know, and doing that bullshit that I should probably stop about. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. But, you know, like not to not be polite, but, you know, where you're always uh, 
you have to deprogram yourself away from thinking that you're 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 an that you you're an obstacle in somebody else's path. Um, um, but uh, no, but I've no, but I'm I'm very aware, and I try to. And I maybe I mean not that I shouldn't do it because I think it's a polite thing to do, but I but I'm very but I don't think of myself as being tall or being a even when I was, you know, a hundred pounds heavier, I never thought of myself as a big person and I could never, there was a long time, years and years and years where unless I really looked at a photo, I could not pick myself out. Um, oh yeah. And I would never, cause I just don't think of myself as a, as a big person. Um, I mean, I guess I have a more greater awareness of my body since I've been, you know, in the last few years of, you know, maybe when I got into yoga and all that stuff, I had a greater awareness. But like once I quit being a an athlete, I mean, I guess I would still do sporty stuff, you know, tennis or, or whatever. But like when I quit playing organized sports and then I got a bunch of concussions wrestling and got out of the wrestling business, I did not think of myself as... And even, and, oh, you know, but also when I was, because I, I was in the wrestling business for so long, even if I was 6'1", 230 pounds, I was still one of the smaller guys there. So yeah, I just I was, was used say, to not. Know, we're not short, but we're not tall either. Because we're virtually the same height. Yeah. Ex yeah. So, and, and i'll tell you one thing i do have a terrible habit of and i really try to not do it because i noticed it's really made my posture bad i have a terrible habit uh because i really try to um engage people where they are right, right. i have a terrible right. habit of leaning over to talk to people when i should just stand up straight and talk to them but in my mind, I somehow have created this. Well, when you're, you know, when you're grown up being told everything you do is fucking wrong. But that, uh, that if I stand up straight and talk to someone who's shorter than me, I'm looking down on them. Hmm. Because I would fit, because I have to look, because I'm taller than someone and they're shorter than me to make eye contact with someone. My eyes would be looking down. So, yes, I'd be looking down on them, but not in a condescending way because I'm taller than they are. But somehow a thing I need to get away from is stop apologizing, especially, you know, because you know, things are not your fault. Things are not always your fault. But I have a hard Look, time. Man, you could have stopped growing at 5'7", and you wouldn't have this problem. So I blame you. Well, you're not alone. Well, but in all fairness, I was... I mean, the height I am now, I think I, I was, I got this, I stopped getting taller when I was 13. Right. So to be 6'1 when you're 13. Yeah, you, you were figuring you know. you'd be 6'6, six, six, that kind of stuff. I grew, I stopped growing when I was like 18, but I was just under six foot. And then when I was 22, I went from size 11 shoes to size 13 and grew an inch. Yeah. 
that was very odd. That's interesting. That's interesting for it to happen. Yeah, yeah. At that at that age. Yep. Well, strangely, I mean, you know, I can't think of anybody. I mean, any I can't think of anybody that we would both know specifically. I mean, maybe I could if I really thought about it, but I think I know plenty of people. I think we both do. And I'm probably thinking more about women in this context uh, where they just really, you know, like an 80s rom-com, they just, I, maybe it's like aging like wine, but just like for some reason, they're cute when they're 18 or 19 and you're, you're getting out of high school and blah, blah, blah. But then for some reason, when they get into the 30s and 40s, they just they look like a million dollars, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, that that transition, and it also comes with your age, I believe. Uh, you find people in your age range, you know, that five-year, 10-year, whatever. Uh, I found that... Uh, at my age at 54 every age range has its beauty and i wasn't always like that so i know it's changed for me but a a, a mature looking woman who has lost all of the the uh, not baby fat but uh that youthful glow for exchange of a of a contemporary glow I mean, that's just fantastic. Have you ever noticed, and I feel like this goes along the lines of what we're talking about, women who, after they are, like, attractive, but for some reason, after they give birth, like, for some reason, that process, suddenly they just, it's like the ultimate glow up? Oh, certainly, uh. Yeah, yeah. You, you can, someone you know, and you see them, and they're just like literally glowing, as we call it. And you're like, wow. You know, then you come to find out they're pregnant. It makes sense. Well, not even that. I just mean like they were really attractive, like very attractive, blah, blah. Pregnant, have a kid. But then for some reason, I don't know if it's a metabolic process or what goes on, but just sometimes, and just look better than... Like, ever. not saying they look like a completely different person, but... Uh, Man, I guarantee you uh, I know the answer to that. And that is evolution. And on a scale of that that physical change is an indicator that they can reproduce. And it just touches us on a fundamental physiological level of uh, the principal foundation of life is to reproduce you know and i'm certainly not bashing anyone that chooses not to do such a thing or whatever their situation is but on a fundamental level if we do not reproduce we die as a species and well there's just no arguing that until science catches up because i always say that evolution won't wait on nature science is going to be its path and we'll be able to grow babies and nobody will ever have to have sex again. Anywho, I think that's a fine note to end this on. We're never, ever, ever having sex again. Anyone ever. And uh, deal with it.
Yeah. What else can we say? All right. You later. All right. All right. Take it easy.